This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 175 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collections. This is Reese Coppler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. And today we have Glenn, our producer, on the show as well. Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. Hey, Glenn. How are you? Good. We, we are uh, recording today in the, a little different time, so uh, I've been a busy girl trying to get all the horses ridden, but, but it happened, and uh, I'm happy to be here. We'll see how the show goes, Philip, because usually we record in the evenings, and uh, Reese has already had two glasses of wine. So if she sounds a little <laughs> uptight, we'll know why. She sounds a little off. Yeah, yeah, we know why. Guys. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell our listeners all our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I have more work to do. I think Philip does too. So uh, I, I behave myself today. So <laughs> yeah, we'll be good. We'll be good. It's a it's a noontime show. So well, we we by doing it this time, you were able to get a guest you've been wanting on for a while. I know we have Andreas Helstra from the Spanish Riding School on, and just great, great new things from just such a wonderful institution. So we're really happy about that. And one of the old friends of the Horse Radio Network is coming on. He Pierre Saint-Jacques. Yeah, Pierre, yeah. Pierre Saint-Jacques, yeah. yeah. going to give us a Devon report or, you know, how it went for him there. And, uh, and we have a trainer tip from one of Reese's friends. We did... Uh, we did uh, the World Equestrian Games radio show, the 2010 radio show, for a couple of years leading up to the, the uh, games in Kentucky. And we picked a spotlight rider for each of the disciplines, and we followed him along and had him on the show about once a month. And Pierre St. Jacques was, was the spotlight rider we had. It was so much fun. He was such a nice guy. We got to know he and his wife, Samantha, and now they have a little child. So, um, so it'll be good to talk to him again. Yeah, and he gives a great report on Devin. And uh, but the Canadians, Philip, congratulations, Canadians! Yeah, it looks like we Devin. swept the we swept the big tour with uh, all the all the blue ribbons. I guess down there in Canada, we have red for first, but when we come down to the states and compete, we have to settle for blue, right? Oh, I don't know. I think blue's prettier than red myself. So. <laughs> well, congratulations to David Marcus, you know, and uh, and Jackie Brooks for their uh, for their wins in Grand Prix and Grand Prix freestyle. Absolutely, and Pierre was right in there. Pierre was second uh, in the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix freestyle. So we'll enjoy his report in a little while. And who's doing our trainer tip this week, Reese? Jody Kelly. Jody and I have actually been friends a long time, and um, she does a great job. Uh, on her trainer tips. So we're excited. She's going to talk about introducing the double bridle, which is always a question for even trainers. You know, when is the, the best time to introduce the double and um, what size bits and what bits to use? And, and we go into a little conversation about that. So it should be fun for everyone to hear. Very good. Well, there's a little bit of news I'd like to bring up here, and it's not happy news, but uh, it actually broke while I was on the uh, Horses in the Morning show live on Monday morning, and word came out through Facebook that uh, uh, Paralympian Jonathan Wentz had passed away over the weekend at the age of 21. We got to know Jonathan a bit uh, during the World Equestrian Games. We did a lot with the para riders. Reese, you helped with that, actually. Yeah. And we worked with them. We helped raise money for them. So we got to know all of the para riders. And Jonathan had cerebral palsy. Um, he actually began riding horses at about the age of five as therapy at the Equest Thera Therapeutic Riding Center in Wiley, Texas. He was from Texas. 
Uh, and his mother, Christina, was actually a physical therapist uh, and, you know, a lovely lady, too, by the way. Um, so Jonathan progressed, and he, he got better and better, and he, he began to focus on dressage. Um, they lived in Texas all along, and he was, at, uh, he was in his final year at Southern Methodist University, and I, I follow him on Facebook, and we chatted occasionally, and he, you know, he, he was typical typical college kid. You know, in all of his Facebook posts and everything, um, one of his biggest goals in life was to be on the U.S. team for the Olympics, and he really wanted to make London, and he really wanted to be one of the four that made London, and he was, and he participated in the Olympics over there. He was fine. Uh, a matter of fact, <laughs> he was fine enough that he got the highest placing of any of the United States competitors in London. Um, and he just was having a ball. And on his Facebook page, he posted it was a dream come true after his first day of competition over there. Uh, so we offer our deepest sympathy, sympathies to the entire family and to the para community who all got to know him very well. We're working on Samantha Clark and I of the eventing radio show. We did the World Equestrian Games radio show for a couple of years and we got to know them. We're working on trying to put together a special episode for the dressage show and the eventing show on Jonathan and having some people that knew him very well on, sort of as a memorial show for him. So we're working on that for the next couple of weeks, and we'll keep you informed on when that's going to happen. Well, thank you, Glenn. That's sad for all of us, and I think all of our hearts went out to his family. Um, So it's a loss for all of us. Um, But on another note, um, uh, this is uh, from USDF. USDF is pleased to announce that they have now launched a USDFscores.com as the official USDF source for the most accurate and complete dressage scores. This site features expansive search functionality, customization reports with advanced sorting and graphic options. So it should be something uh, that we can all use. It's a great uh, way to uh, check your own scores. Or even if you're looking at a horse uh, or a trainer to kind of see what their what their scores are, so it's a really good uh, resource for us all to use. So that's new and, and coming out. And that's going to follow horses and riders, Reese. Both. Yeah, you can go on Glenn and uh, other sites. They're not official sites, uh, but you can go on and, and, for example, you can type in my name and you can see sort of my average and uh, what I've won over the years and what my scores were on different horses. So it's it's a really useful tool, actually, um, to to look up. I, I use it a lot if I when I'm buying a horse. Uh, I go and check see what their scores were and is there an average or you know what may have happened at a certain venue. You can kind of see a little. You, you can get some information from it. So this is an official one. So this that's a good Perfect. thing. Very very useful. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Right after this commercial from Equestrian Collections, we're going to talk to Pierre Saint Jacques about Devon. Hi, Glenn, back with you from the Horse Radio Network. I'm here with Debbie with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. Hi, Glenn, and happy fall. Since it's the autumn season, I wanted to feature our new waterproof turnout sheet. It's called the Centaur Don't Shoot Waterproof Turnout Sheet. And the reason it's called that is because it is blaze orange. It is as bright an orange as you could imagine. It also has reflective strips on it. So that if you're in a place where your horse is in a pasture and you're the least bit worried about hunters, you slap this thing on them and they will not mistake your horse for a deer. It's only fifty four ninety five, so it's well with it. It's below sixty dollars, 
And it's only 420D, so it's not designed for a D meaning denier. It's not designed for, um, you know, rough, uh, being rough out there in the fields. But what it is designed for is for visibility. I have a lot of customers who are concerned about that these days, and this is our answer to that. It is a waterproof turnout. It's waterproof, breathable, and it's got the reflective strips, so it's good to see day and night. It has a double front closure. It has the um, the D-rings for the uh, leg straps, but the leg straps don't come with it, so that's no problem. Most all of us have extra leg straps around, or you can order them from us as well. It also has front leg arches, so it fits really well. It's a Centaur product, which is a well-established vendor that we sell a lot of. This is just the first time they've gone into the protective environment, and I think it's a great idea for fall. It is very bright. We used to have that problem in Pennsylvania where we lived. Uh, there were hunters all around our farm, so I love this product. It's a Available in all the usual sizes from 63 through 87, so your bigger horses as well. You can find it at equestriancollections.com. And Equestrian Collections also has a bunch of reflective stuff for humans as well. You can find that at equestriancollections.com. Pierre, thanks so much for coming on the Dressage Radio Show. It's uh, always a pleasure. I'm glad to, to, to be part of this. Well, we are so excited to hear your report from Devin. Well, Devin was a very, very exciting and fun show. Um, I had not competed Tiger since the selection trials uh, at the Festival of Champions. And so I kind of wanted to do a fun show this fall, and I love Devin, and it's so it's so electric, and it's such a fun place to show, and it lived up to its reputation. Um, and I ended up second in the Grand Prix, and I ended up second in the freestyle um, by the slimmest of margins, And uh, but, you know, that's just the way it's horses, so that's just the way it, it fell, but had a great time. Pierre, do you want to do a quick wrap-up for us, at least in the couple of classes that you were in or maybe what you saw at Devon this year, uh, maybe some of the horses and uh, and just the whole experience? Well, there was a lot of Canadians that came down for that. David Marcus was there and Diane Creech and a good friend of mine, um, Lars Peterson, competed in the small tour. And um, it was a, quite a competitive field. Um, the crowd on the freestyle night was, was um, huge. I think they sold out. They had 5,000 tickets sold. And so um, for the freestyle, it was very electric, uh, the atmosphere. It was, it was perfect weather. Um, it wasn't too cold. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't raining, which is a rarity for Devin. And um, the crowd really got into the freestyle. Um, my horse was perfect. I, I really can't complain. I mean, he was, he hadn't shown since, since Gladstone. And so it was, um, I just drove up there on Monday and gave him a couple of days of rest and then started riding him, I think on Wednesday. And, uh, he went in there like a, like a trooper and did his job, uh, both in the Grand Prix and in the, spe- in the freestyle. And, um, he was, other than being a little bit, you know, nervous because of the crowd and, and just because it's a night class and we don't get to do a lot of night classes. He, he went in there and did his job, and uh, I was very, very pleased with him. He was very, very rideable, very honest, very fun to ride in there. And Pierre, you have been riding Tiger for how many years now? 
Well, I've owned him since he was five years old, and he is 17. And so, yeah, we've been together for 12 years, and um, I think we've been at Grand Prix for about eight years. I was trying to figure out when I started doing Grand Prix, but um, he certainly has been uh, a wonderful horse for me. Uh, he's certainly done a lot for me. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of fun to, to do this Devin with him. Um, it was just, uh, you know, it's probably going to be his last Devin, although, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because he feels like he's 10 years old. And uh, um, we'll see what, what, what he tells me for next year. Um, but, um, uh, we're, you know, we'll just play it by ear. I'll listen to him a little bit, and he can tell me when he wants to retire. But uh, I think I came off the van after driving for 20 hours uh, to getting you know getting back to Ocala and he passaged off the van and he was happy to be home so he, he was not tired and mm-hmm. unlike I, I I've been exhausted since I got home so but yeah he certainly doesn't show his age so what are your plans t- for the near future maybe uh, this winter well this winter I think I'm going to um, pick my shows um, I'm, I'm hoping to do the masters again um, and uh, there's another five-star global dressage festival, and I'd like to be invited to that, and we'll see um, where our standing is in the in the ranking of of all the other Grand Prix riders. I, you know, I don't I don't really want to put any kind of goals. Um, those are my two main goals: is to try to do those two five stars, and um, see where we we end up after the season. And um, yeah, we'll see after that. We'll see what he does. He, He'll tell me when he's ready to retire. And Pierre, can you give us some tips on keeping? He he looks so fresh, and I mean, like you said, he just looks great. And so, how do you keep him looking like that at seventeen? Um, that's a good question. It was funny because I did the um, I did the uh, press conference after, and they asked me how old he was, and and some people didn't know, you know, about Tiger, and they were they were really amazed at how good he looks for his age. And honestly, um, it's not just what I do now. I think it's how I've brought him up all along. And uh, I've always listened to him. I've always made sure that um, I didn't train too hard on him. Um, I just took a long time. And uh, now that he is trained, I'm just real careful about not overtraining on him. And um, I, I, Before I got to Devon, um, I... I I ride him in a big grass field uh, with not even an, you know, not even a dressage arena. He hadn't seen a dressage arena since Gladstone. And um, I, I think that's the secret is to just keep them happy, um, not think too much about dressage. The way I ride is I think more of gymnastics. And, and if my horse is on the aid and he's good and through and um, the gymnastics are good, the movements are easy. Uh, it's, you know, and so I think that's my philosophy is to really try to, think of riding him more through gymnastics and keeping him fit and happy and not override and not, not overwork him and um, give him plenty of rest and, and plenty of hack time and plenty of hand walks. And, uh, yeah, he's also a what very does a, horse. Yeah, well, what does a typical week's worth of training um, for, for you and Tiger? Is it just a lot of hacking or, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you do day by day? Um. Before, like a couple of months, like about three weeks before um, I go to a show, I'll, I'll pick him up a little bit and maybe ride him a little bit, maybe four days out of the week rather than my normal 
two days off, I mean, two days on and then a day off and then another two days of just light work and then another hack day. And then I'll start picking him up about a month away from the show, a month, three weeks. And um, instead of riding in 25 minutes, I'll ride him maybe 35 minutes and uh, slowly try to time it so that he peaks uh, at the show. And then when I get to the show, I basically will get to the show and um, give him a hack day the first day, give him a light school um, the second day, and then try to ride them a little bit more together and with a little bit more power um, the morning of the class. And um, then I'll go in and do my test. And if I have to ride him twice, like in the special, the next morning I'll just hack him and uh, pick him up when I actually do my warm-up. And uh, there's a lot of trust involved in this. And, you know, and, and I know him now, so I know that that system works. Um, so... Um, I, I have to know that when he's a little bit nervous because, like he was uh, before the freestyle, that once I go in the arena, he will he will do his job, and uh, you know, I know that now, so it's it's easy. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we fingers crossed that you get to the Masters, and if you wouldn't mind, we'd love a report from there. Oh yeah, I will. I will keep you guys informed and the rest of things. But um, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Well, that was a great report from Devin on, from Pierre Saint-Jacques. And now we're going into Andreas Hausberger, the chief writer for the Spanish Writing School. Andreas, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the, for the invitation. Thank you for the interview. Oh, this is exciting. I, I feel honored to have you on the program. Andreas, tell us why you're here today. Well, you know... Uh, since May, I am the new director of our train of our new, totally brand new training center in Heldenberg, Lower Austria, that's 53 kilometers north of Vienna. And the training center is from, or it is from the Spanish Riding School, the world famous Spanish Riding School, existing since more than 450 years, so the oldest riding school in the world. And now, when when does the program open? Uh, the, uh, the program is open uh, at the beginning of uh, 2013, you know, it's, it's uh, beginning of 2013, and we start with a full program. So it's not just uh, horse training, but it's also theory, theory courses. We do uh, dressage judge seminars. We do professional rider seminars. So everything of that. So uh, now who, is, who are the students? How can you get involved with the program? Well, of course you have. Of, of course you have to apply. There is a. Uh, we do have a website for for our training center in Heldenberg. It's called srs.at/en for English slash Heldenberg. Okay, and they will get uh, more info and the, the 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 links to apply. Excellent. And, and what type of rider? So let's say I would like to apply. What type of riders do you take? How much experience do you need? Well, you know, of course, the request is that you send if, if a rider and horse, come, uh, if the rider comes with his horse, okay, then he has to apply with a video. Okay, so we have to get a video and uh, then the uh, director and the chief riders choose or say if it's okay to come or not. 
And who is going to be running the instruction and the lessons? Well, you know, all the riders do, uh, uh, but especially the most experienced riders, uh, uh, say the older riders and the chief riders. And how many chief riders stay? Andreas, do you stay at the school or do you go to a school in Vienna? No, well, uh, I'm, uh, I do both. You know, I'm, of course, director of the, of the training center. Of course, I have to be there and uh, supervise the training, not just of the, of the horses, of the stallions of the Spanish riding school, but also the new program, the new training program. So it will be done by the chief riders and by the older experienced riders. Now, the lessons, I, are, are they just designed to help improve the riders or are you looking uh, maybe at some horses that somebody has a problem with at home and, and needs some help? Okay, well, you know, our focus will be, of course, because that's what we are known for. Our focus will be on Piaf and Passage, collected exercises, and, of course, uh, uh, fixing some problems, you know. But uh, not just the horse rider combination but also we take we will also take horses you know to uh train them for complete and tell us about the facility itself well it's a it's you know i call it a horse paradise it's mm-hmm. it's light flooded it's lots of space in the stalls you know each stall has a a paddock uh, double the size of the stall we have uh, grass paddocks. We have woods around the facility, so you can hack the horses in 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 fresh air in the woods nearby. We have an outdoor arena. We have a wonderful indoor arena, and we have lots of rooms there. We have a stable manager there, so the horses are well kept. And so, how many horses and riders accommodations can you have there? Well, you know, we uh, we have in total we have eighty one stalls. But uh, the Spanish riding school school needs just half of that. You know, we need, just need 40 to 50. So, so 30, 35 are there for outside or foreign students with their horses. I do have a question. Do, can you go there and actually use the school's horses? No. Okay. I and... Was... I was thinking for what, people coming from overseas that didn't want to transfer to horses. That's why. I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, we, we, we don't provide horses. No. Okay. And Andreas, how does it work with, could riders then go into the, 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 the famous school and go to ride in Vienna eventually? Or how does that work? No, the, no of course, the, 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 the pupils or the foreign students, of course, are invited for the public morning training in Vienna. But it's not possible to train in Vienna, you know, in the old winter riding school that is for our horses for the training for the daily training and for the performances sure but they get they get an inside look though huh of course no of course they are <laughs> for the to the school that's for sure oh yeah they have <laughs> they, the possibility is there to watch the daily morning training and the performance have you been working on this project for a while since may yeah why? 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 Why the extension? Why do it? Uh, because you know, uh, half of the of the facility is empty. You know, and we want to pass on our knowledge. We want to pass our. We want to pass on our knowledge, our four hundred years old knowledge, to foreign students. That was our intention. And Andreas, you speak such great English, but if someone did not speak German, um, is that a problem? 
no, we all we all speak English, so we 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 can teach in English. That's not a problem because most of my colleagues uh, 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 teach and do clinics in the U.S. Sure. And is there a level you're looking for that you want them to be at a certain level before they come to the school? Well, you know, when the horse rider combination is fine, then we 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 of course accept also young horses. But if both rider and horse is inexperienced, that would be a problem. Yeah. So if you, if you have an experienced rider and a, a green horse, it's fine. If you have a green rider and an experienced horse, it's also fine, you know. Okay. But a green horse and green rider doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure, we've all seen that not go well. Well, and you probably need more instruction at home before you head off to uh, the Spanish riding school for that. Well, you know, you know <laughs> I have to say, if I'm in the U.S., I have to say, we just cook with water, even the riders in the Spanish riding school, you know, we, it's, of course, we have our philosophy to train horses, you know, our philosophy is the horse tells you when it's time for everything, you know, so of course that is important at the Spanish riding school, but if you look closer, we cook with water, let's say that <laughs> way, you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and how long, um, Andreas, do you like your students to stay? It depends, you know. Uh, there is a program where you can have a single lesson every day. You can come for a le- for a single lesson, or if you come for more than two months, okay, then we will have a special fee for that. If you want to stay longer than two months, and are, is there accommodations there for the riders, or do they do they have to find something there? We, no, we will we will provide also contact details for hotels, and that will pro- will be provided here. Okay. Very good. Well, this sounds like an exciting project, and we're looking forward to hearing more about it and how it goes for you. We wish you luck with it. Thank you. And again, we'll uh, we'll put the link to the website on our uh, on our or on our website as well at dressageradio.com. I know it was a, it was a little long there, so we'll definitely put that up where people can go find more information about it. You're great, Glenn. Thank you so much. It helps a lot. Do you have a company in the horse world? Are you looking to get the word out about your products, services, or shows? At the Horse Radio Network, we understand our advertisers need to reach the equestrian consumer in the most efficient, cost-effective way possible. Internet radio shows like this one, also called podcasts, allow the flexibility and creativity to craft unique messages that stand out from the herd and reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. If you want to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact our account manager, Lisa, at 847-790-4476. That's Lisa at 847 4476 or you can drop her an email at lisa at horseradionetwork.com our listeners are terrific engaged and avid horse people the ones that you are looking for and i'd like to introduce jody kelly from jody kelly dressage in destin florida to talk about um how to use a double bridle jody welcome to the show tonight to do a trainer tip Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, Joe, what's your tip for the evening? I am going to talk about introducing the double bridle. Great. Well, let's get to it. 
<laughs> okay, so um, do you want me just to start, or do you want to ask me questions about it? Or yeah, why don't you why don't you just start? Tell tell us. So if you have a horse and you think, okay, I'm ready for a double bridle, or I think that will help me in 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 my training, uh, when do you make that decision? Okay. I usually start my horses at a double bridle when they're schooling about third level. I um, I like for them to be able to handle the level of collection um, in a snaffle before they actually start to the start in the double. I um, I, I'm one of those that I I really really try. You always have those few horses that are an exception that really you just need the double bridle for a little bit of help. But generally speaking, I really like for my horses to be able to do almost everything in a snaffle um, before I switch them to the double. I try not to use it as a, as a necessity, just more that it's as they're moving up the levels. It's the, um, it's just the next step in their training. And so I, um, I really make sure that they're comfortable learning the, the collection and the throughness and being able to make a flying change pretty confidently without the double. And that's when I start to slowly switch them over. Um, when I first start my, my young ones that are just moving up the levels, when I start them in the double, I, um, usually take them for trail rides in it first. And, um, I just put it in and have a very soft, just a very basic, um, I, I try not to do anything wild and crazy. Um, just very basic bits, very soft and don't make the curve too tight. And I start off with just taking them for trail rides in it and doing little warm-ups with it and just let it be something that's that's comfortable for them. And I ride them primarily off the snaffle when I start. Um, and then as they start to get more comfortable in it and I start to take the contact and they seem okay in it, then I just start to add the collected work and slowly but surely get them, get them happy in it. And then later on, once they're they're very comfortable in it and they're schooling in it regularly, and it's um, just it's just a way of life for them. Then I actually do go backwards. My horses all do a trail ride a week, and they do just a nice suppling warm up um, the day after their day off. And I usually do that work back in a snaffle, just as a little bit of a checkup for me. I want to make sure that they still stay really honest on the snaffle and really can be very nice in the bridle and very comfortable in it, the, you know, in the snaffle without, without using the double. And then they do their, their primary work in the double bridle. And then, then that way they kind of know that it's a work day when they have their double bridle and it's a, it's a loosening, easy, um, not so stressful day when they have their snaffle. Now, Jody, can you talk a little bit about, um, your bit selection for the, for the snaffle part and the, and the way, way mouth, you know, different riders sure. like different bits, but you know, what do you look for? Um, my for favorite bit, and to be completely honest with you right now, every horse in my barn has the same, um, general type of bit. Um, my favorite one are the kangaroo bits. They come in those perfect, um, blue boxes. I think they're fantastic. They're a nice solid bit. Um, I like for them to be. Not super heavy, but um, but a nice solid bit, so they have a nice solid feel in their mouth. Um, not a super high port, um, but enough room that they have their tongue, you know, have room for their tongue. And um, I'm not a huge fan of really long shanks. I, I hate that. You know, I think it's it's you see too often that the 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 curb gets cranked and the shank is you know parallel to the ground, and that encourages them to open their mouth and kind of brace it against you. Um, so I, I try to keep as short of a shank as possible. 
and then just kind of a medium port. And um, I really try to stay as as mild and neutral with with my with my bits as possible. And I, I've always done that with my snaffles as well. Um, and then I use the three piece snaffle just with the little the jelly bean in the middle. And um, yeah, I, you know I think it's just a really nice. It's just an honest bit. And um, and all my horses go in their snaffles in the same thing, the double jointed, just the KK. Um, just, you know, really, I, I, there certainly have been horses along the way that you have to get a little more creative. You have to maybe have a little higher port. You have to have a little longer shank. Um, but I start everything in that just kind of middle of the road, nice, kind bit, and then go from there if necessary. So, Jody, when when you have a horse, you said there's some exceptions and when you start a horse in a double. Can you talk a little bit about what exceptions those would be if you decided to start a little early or wait a little longer? Sure. I, um, you know, every once in a while you have one that just drags you around. And, and I did, I had a young horse not long ago. I mean, he wasn't terribly young. I waited till he was, he was like six or seven. I, he was, I think I actually put him in it as a six-year-old and he was, he was starting his changes and he was just a freight train. And, um, you know, in a snaffle, he just would grab it and run. And then when I put it, we just tried the double and we put the double in it. And it was just, we tried the mild bits, but the double bridle. And just by having the curve, that extra tiny little bit of leverage, it backed him off so much that it actually became, you know, for me, it would, I would love to have had him nice more solid in his changes, more solid in the collection before I started him in it, but he just didn't get it, and he just would blow through everything. So by switching him to that, I had the little tiny bit of extra leverage from the curb and was able to kind of back him off, and he actually figured it out so much faster. And it, to me, it was so much less painful of a process for both of us um, by putting the double in sooner you know it uh, he was easier in my hand and then therefore there was less correction to be made and it just kind of it clarified everything for him so much so much faster and so much easier than um than anything i could have gotten done with a snaffle and then um and then i actually kind of i started to i just recently got a horse in training that had been going in a double and um he's a he's a nine-year-old he's shown fourth level um and his owner came to me, brought his double, and said, you know, he goes mostly in this. And first day I got on him, I always put them in a snaffle first, just so I have a have a baseline. And um, the first day I got on him, I could he went around like a giraffe in the snaffle. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I'm sure I could have put the double on him at that moment and wrestled his head down, but there was no connection, no honesty, no nothing there. So I actually didn't put him back in his double for a good three months. And, you know, the owner would come out and be like, why is he in the double? Why is he in the double? But he was not honest in the connection or in the throughness at all. So I went backwards and, you know, just took my time and got him really good in the snaffle. And now he's back in the double and he's, he's really good about it. But I just... I like to have, I like to have that security and know that I can do what I need to do in the snaffle before and not rely on the double. I think the double needs to be extra fine tuning, not the basis of your training. And then, um, then I actually have an FEI pony that I compete that he's going, he's doing the I one, and um, I just he's gone in the double a few times and he goes fantastic in it, but he's just as fantastic in the snaffle. And so I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, less is more. So if you don't need it and, you know, he's, he's fancy, but he's probably never going to do the CDIs, um, with me. So there's no reason to, 
to use the double when I can do everything I need to do in the snaffle and he's beautiful in the bridle and, and everything's good, you know? So, Arisa, I might, I might ask you a question about this too. I mean, we got Jody's take on it. I mean, um, you know, for all our listeners and maybe not so ex- experienced trainers, why put a horse in, in, in a double bridle at all? What do you think? My, well, here, I learned this lesson the hard way. It is actually, and this, honestly, I don't completely understand this rule myself, but for the CDIs, it is required that you go in a double. And um, I, there was just, it's just recently been um, allowed that you can compete in the FEI division in a snaffle, um, but you still are not allowed to in the CDIs. And I actually, recently took a student to a CDI. She did the Young Rider classes. Um, she was fantastic, and she did it in a snaffle, and they came back afterwards. Nobody caught her in the warm-up. Nobody caught her, and she competed, and nobody rang the bell on it. It was right after the rule change that she could compete in the FEI um, that she was actually eliminated from that CDI because she did it in a snaffle, and it was a big discussion because everybody felt like she had a beautiful ride, and why Why you do you require that you have to have more bit than you need? Um, I don't totally understand it, to be honest with you, but that's why that's why I put all of my horses in it because they all eventually um, you know the ones that I'm competing i I hope will eventually go to CDIs and do that kind of stuff and um, and it's required. Reece, yeah, that- do you have a, a take on that? Well yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you, jody. i I, I love the. That you one of the things that I've offered your training is that you uh, have a very clear program and you hack your horses. They all go out of the arena. They go in a snaffle. They they have a suppling day. Uh, so you're very clear in your program, and I think that that's really super to see that and and have a trainer that does that with her horses because your horses are always happy and great in the mouth and great in the bridle. Um, so your your plan really works, and I think it really I had horses that are different i think a lot of when when you start introducing the double you have to be you know you have to really listen to your horse at that point that's the point is we're supposed to fine-tune our aids a little bit and so being able to uh, kind of step back and say okay you know i i liked how you said when i had a horse in training he only went in the double bridle um i totally agree with you the, the double is not meant to put your horse on the bit um, you know, it can be an aid, it can help, uh, when you get there, but at the end of the day, it, it can't be, you know, you should be able to ride your horse in a snaffle. And I agree. Yeah. I have horses that are tough, that are, that are hard, that are hard to get on the bit, but you got to go back to the snaffle and you got to fix that. Right. So, you know, I think, it, I think I, I like the way how you hack them. That's what we do. You know, we hack them mm-hmm. and, and then right. introduce it very easily and, and you have to have good hands. I think that's the other thing. Um, you know, I've had riders that come and I just don't feel like their seat and their hands are, are soft enough. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a thing too. That it's not a punishment. That's my biggest thing is that I, I don't want my horses ever to think that their double bridle is a punishment. Like, oh, the double today, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be tougher. Not necessarily. You know, I mean, I don't mind that they kind of have a, have this mind frame that, all right, this is a work day because the double's there. Because, yeah, everything's a little sharper. Everything's a little more fine-tuned. But I don't ever want it to serve as a as a punishment. Like, oh, you weren't good today, so tomorrow you get the double. You know, that's, that's not for me um, the way I want them to to view it, you know, I, I think that they should. And, and even the ones that I 
that I did, you know, the few that I do use the double, like that young one that was really strong, once I kind of got it all clicked into his head, the, the throughness that I was looking for, I did continuously go back to the snapple, like just to double check it and make sure that, you know, and as, as he got stronger and started to understand what I was asking him, he actually got better in the snaffle as well. So, you know, it's, it's important to me that they stay happy and stay honest, um, and everything in the snaffle. And then the, the double is just that extra, the extra fine tuning, the extra little bit. And like I said, there have been a handful of horses that I truly only have ever put them in a double bridle because they need to go to a CDI. That's just only, they only use it because it's the rules, not because they need it one bit further mouth. Yeah. And like you said, it's the rule. So we can't get it. We can't get away from that at the moment, but Jody, right. thank you so much for your insight. You were wonderful. How can we find you on the web? JodyKellyDressage.com. I have a website and I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. Well, that was a great tip. I think Philip, that that's something that uh, we all struggle with. And I think that was a great conversation with how to use a double bridle. Well, it's a good discussion. I mean, I think um, I like to have this one a lot with different riders and, and trainers because everybody's got a, a slightly different take on it. And, um, you know, they're always coming out with new and different bits and things like that. So I like to know what people are using on different horses. And, you know, all the time I have a horse maybe that, um, you know, is not fitting the normal, you know, the normal thing. And then and then you have some ideas of what to, what to do and, and where to go with the tack a little bit. Agreed. You know, we we are lucky here in Lexington. We have Rolex every year and Steuben comes and they typically bring their um, bit designers. So I always like to take, uh, you know, half an hour and literally go stand at the booth and wait till I have his attention and and talk to him about the different bits that are out there because there are always new metals and new shapes and and things coming out and and so i think it's interesting to decide and and which ones to use or not use and not spend the money on um i i personally i don't know about you philip but i have a problem with the bits like i have a problem with shoes i always (laughs) am buying more bits and i have a huge bit box and you know because you never know i'm sure you're not like that with shoes but ladies you know what i'm saying um yeah my husband never lets me bring any more shoes in because i have too many but, um, you know, but with bits. Yeah, you know, I don't have a shoe issue. I can't say that. But I do have a lot of bits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, I you just compile have. a whole stash of them. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things. Like, I never want to sell one or, you know, so you just, yeah. you make a big collection. But, you know, I, I really do like to see what's new and what's out there. And uh, I think it can, it can help the horses, you know, sometimes just be a little bit more comfortable or just uh, a little happier. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. And well, we can talk a little bit more about bits too on another show. I think that, like you said, that's a full show right there, uh, and and many many hours that we trainers talk about it. So we'll have to we'll have to do that. You can find our show notes and links to to get today's guests on our website at dressageradio.com. You can like us on Facebook. Just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, Equestrian Collections. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. And I'll put a plug in for one of them if I could, and that was the Equestrian Legends show that came out yesterday. Uh, I had an opportunity to interview Sunny Hale, uh, who is a true pioneer in the world of women's polo. 
Uh, you've probably, Reese, run into her at some point down there in Palm Beach. Um, she, you know, Polo's huge down there, and she really is the one that transformed Polo for women and was the first woman in U.S. Hi- history to win the U.S. Open Polo Championship, which is like the Super Bowl. Um, and she is a seven-time winner of the Polo Excellence Awards Woman Player of the Year, and she has attained the highest rating ever given to a woman of five goals after winning the U.S. Open Polo Championship in 2000. So she is a true force in polo. She's the youngest equestrian legend we've ever highlighted on that show, but she deserves it. I mean, she she was the pioneer with her and her mother in polo for women so uh, you can see, you can hear that interview over at equestrianlegends.com I'm definitely going to listen wow good for her yep but uh, everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you next week bye